do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to a conversation about the role of a trader in the organic fruit and vegetable business in Europe, or as Aosta likes to call themselves, a conductor of an orchestra. We dive deeper into the connection between health and organic produce and how to monetize sustainability, plus changing your profit and loss statements to reflect the sustainability. And we discuss the biggest threat to sustainability, anonymity. The sound quality of this interview is not always perfect, as we recorded this live at the headquarters of Aosta. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered. I'm here with Volkert Engelsmann, co-founder of Aosta, international distributor of fresh, organic and fair fruits and vegetables. They take responsibility and transparency to a whole new level and maintain a close working relationship with more than a thousand growers in six continents. Volkert is very proud to say that none of their suppliers ever went back to chemical, non-organic agriculture. Welcome, Volkert. Thank you, Kurt. So to start with a personal question, as I usually <coughs> like to start, how did you end up founding, co-founding Aosta in the food, agriculture, and, and of course the organic part of that? Well, the slogan of this company is where ecology meets economy. So my roots are also in both worlds. I think ecology for us also stands for uh, a new society, new agriculture. Economy stands for pragmatism. And uh, I learned thinking about the world and its future at a Steiner school in Germany. Um, then I decided to study economics and business administration and ended up with Cargill, a big commodity trading company in the US. And uh, at some point after a few years, um, steep learning curves, I ran into a few growers who said we, we, we would love to go sustainable and organic but there doesn't seem to be a market so I thought all right um, there should be a market for organic and if there is none then we'll create one and that was 25 years ago hence Eosta. And now we, we've been 25 years later you have 100 people working here we're, we're in the headquarters building a new headquarters which will be done in six months 
100 million revenue, 1,000 suppliers. What's the main lesson you see? What, what's the main, the main story you want to bring forward if you, you look back at the 25 years? The main lesson, I would say, is um, the biggest threat to uh, sustainability is anonymity because usually exploitation rides on the back of anonymity. If I don't know you, I can exploit you. If I don't know the impact on people and planet, I can exploit people and planet. So I thought we can talk endlessly talk about health and uh, better climate and uh, better environment and social responsibility. But if we, uh, if we, as long as we, we are not uh, transparent about it, uh, this will be theory and cloud nine talk. That's why you know that's what I really learned from Cargill a company that trades in anonymous commodities uh, and and food is literally commodified it means anonymized so i thought there is no such thing as sustainability without transparency that's why we created this company and the first thing we did was uh, not talk about people and planet but talk about the true and the real story behind the product so that's what our Nature and More brand does. It reveals the true story of each grower by uh, putting a little stamp on each fruit with a QR code and the face of the grower. So the consumer is empowered to make an informed purchase decision because he can visit that grower and enter into a dialogue and on the social media and talk about the growers' views on, for instance, soil health or biodiversity or mitigating climate change or what he does to empower his, his black workforce or his migrant workforce or his workforce in general, what he does to contribute to a fairer distribution of wealth throughout the supply chain. And by being transparent about this, uh, we also enable the grower to capitalize on his contribution to people and planet. But you take it a few steps further than most companies or some companies that have copied you now and showing the face of a of a of one of their one of their suppliers and maybe a bit of the story you're measuring this biodiversity you're measuring this soil health you're really taking this transparency plus you're showing and sharing with your suppliers margins and you're really making into not even a supplier but a partner they're in there it's not a linear relationship it's it's they are in the same boat as we say Absolutely. What's what's the thought behind it? How far are you going to push this and how far are you pushing that? What are the the examples there that really stand out for you? Well, Kun, I think uh, you can't push this uh, far enough. Trade, in our case, is not about trade or buying low and selling high. Uh, Trade, in our case, is about running, I mean, responsibly running a supply chain. So we rather consider ourselves a... um, air traffic controller rather than a trader so we enter a master of an orchestra better much nicer actually so we consider ourselves friends and partners and families uh, with all the suppliers and customers and other stakeholders that form this supply chain together in our journey to reach to achieve more sustainability more healthy food more a lower impact of food and farming on, for instance, soil or biodiversity or climate, in order to achieve a positive impact on social, you need to not only 
monitor sustainability and incremental steps of development. But you also need to empower growers to manage sustainability, which is precisely what we do. We go there, we team up with these growers, we send in the troops, we send in the agronomists and uh, help them to um, embark on a journey that's called sustainability. So that will be two M's, monitoring and managing. But where, where is the third and the fourth M? Uh, the third would be marketing. Because if we would anonymize his product again, then we would uh, talk cleverly about sustainability. But in the end, we wouldn't change the business model. And we would... Um, join this race to the bottom at the ex- uh, price-wise at the expense of people and planet, which is what we don't like, which we think is where the perverse incentive is in this uh, uh, economy. We talk about people, planet and profit, but I think that's outdated. Uh, I think it's purely and exclusively about profit. And yet you are selling to major supermarket chains all around Europe. How has been that that their response to we're being open about things we are bringing our we're non-anonymizing our suppliers we're bringing them into this discussion we're taking them onto a journey and we're not going down the rabbit hole of looking for the lowest possible margin what's the response of the traditional place where most people at the end get their fruits and vegetables Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, why? Because if we reach out to the consumer, which we try to do as much as we can, we notice that consumers are not only concerned as a citizen about their health and the people and planet's health, but they also would love to take responsibility as a consumer. By and, and we we empower them to make an informed purchase decision by talking about health and the impact on people and planet. So that's why I'm saying it is purely about profit and not about people and planet. Because if you say people and planet and profit, then usually it ends up with people and planet are important, but profit is the most important. I think if you only would talk only and exclusively about profit, but you would factor in the costs of people and planet, then you would change your profit definition, which is what, what we need. And uh, what you did. It's also what we did. So um, marketing sustainability automatically leads to monetizing sustainability, which would be the fourth M. Um, we have measured the impact. Um, we've managed it. We've marketed it. But if we really want to address the perverse incentives of a wrong profit definition at the expense of people and planet, then you have to monetize this impact as well, which is what we did. So we reduced the KPIs to those 20% performance indicators with regards to sustainability that define 80% of the impact. 
which is a very pragmatic approach. Um, and we teamed up with various United Nations agencies such as FAO, WHO, uh, UNEP, UNDP, um, with various uh, financial auditors. And we concluded that organic is not too expensive, but conventional too cheap, as long as that farming system keeps externalizing costs of people and planet. And uh, we achieved enormous backup for that. And I believe that in the next few years, sustainability will no longer be in the exclusive domain of a few green activists. It will increasingly also be in the domain of the financial sector. We see uh, new banking, venture capital and investment uh, projects popping up everywhere, including in the institutional investor uh, sector, whereby people say, can we revisit the so-called rocks, the uh, re- risk-adjusted returns on capital, for instance, and factor in a stress test with regards to climate change or soil erosion or, or biodiversity failure, or, yeah. or ecosystems. Because uh, if, we l- if, if we look at our present investments and we do not uh, factor in the costs of climate change or biodiversity loss or child labor or whatever, then that means a potential risk for the future uh, ability uh, to, make pro- to make a profit. To exist in many cases of course. And to exist. So if we, um, if we jump ahead, let's say in five to ten years, it will be very difficult for food and farming operators to attract capital if they do not invest in people and planet. I, at least I hope so. And um, um, simultaneously, it will be very silly for bankers or credit suppliers or venture capital people to invest in something of which it is not clear what the impact is on people and planet. Because it is like, it's, like, negative, yeah. it's <laughs> like flying in the dark without, without instruments or navigation. Which we did for a while, and then luckily we invented some other things yeah. when we were flying. Yeah. So what so, would be your advice if you are an impact investor, which are hopefully all listening to this show, you're interested, you're, you're really passionate about food and agriculture, you've done your research, read your books, where can you go? What, what would be the first step to, to put money to work in this enormously diverse and, and complex sector that is food and agriculture? Well, I, I would say, first of all, it's not uh, enormously complex. Uh, it's actually quite simple. If we want to feed the world and future, then we have to look after the resources that enable us to feed the world. And one of the first resources would be soil, soil fertility, which we are killing and losing at a rate of 30 soccer fields per minute, accumulating to 12 million hectares a year, according to the FAO. Um, so, first of all, let's look after our soils. And farmers who do not invest in soils, farmers who use mineral fertilizer and other crap to boost productivity at the expense of soil fertility, they do not deserve to get capital because they are undermining and uh, they're mining our soils. They're depleting their soils, so they are undermining. Uh, their ability to be profitable in in future. So it would be very silly for an investor to invest in such an idiot. So secondly... Invest in the ones that are building it. Yeah, so invest in those who are building soils, who are contributing to the water-holding capacity of soils, because that's the next uh, second big issue. 
water, watershed management. Um, the overall water household on this planet may be stable, but the extremes between uh, floods on the one side and droughts on the other side will become bigger, and not just because of climate change. You know, 2% or 2.5% of all water on this planet is fresh water, of which half, I think, is frozen, and the other half, so less than 1%, is available for us uh, and of which 70% is used by agriculture. So you're turning a big lever there. Uh, if you manage your soils properly and you invest in the into the water holding capacity of soils, then you can do with enormous amounts less amount of water. So irrigation in Holland may, may be not so expensive, but in other parts of the world it's extremely expensive. So. Um, uh, soil proper soil management contributing to your organic matter contents is crucially important not only because of fertility and your ability to produce in future but also because of water holding uh, capacities uh, thirdly because of con con your contribution to biodiversity which is where your vitality bank is Diversity means vitality, and we see an immediate and direct connection between um, diversity, biodiversity, and the ability of a plant to deal with pests and diseases. Which and the third uh, component and the fourth is component? No, well, uh, first the fourth component component would be uh, mitigation of climate change, mm -hmm. because forty percent of all greenhouse gases are are caused are born by food and agriculture of which half is caused by uh, mineral fertilizer, nitrous oxide emissions, uh, and the other half by methane. So before we talk about feeding the world, one thing is for sure, we, cannot, we can't afford to keep eating meat as long as you know, the footprint of its um, animal feed production is so huge in terms of uh, monocultural soybeans and maize uh, that factory are, farms is the that are so big that they that you can't rotate them with any other crop for soil uh, fertility reasons. Um, so you have to apply shitloads of mineral fertilizer, which depletes soils, which uh, creates a water footprint of fifteen thousand liters per kilo of beef, which is completely ridiculous. Of which ninety. 8% is caused by irresponsible farming techniques, which produces 20% of global greenhouse gases. And then you have beef that actually produces methane, which is the other half of the 40% of food and agriculture emissions. So it's simply not sustainable. So uh, why is it still simple? Well, it's simple because we have to look after our soils, water, biodiversity and climate change. And what we need to embark on is, in order to to, to mitigate risk of uh, losses, also financial losses, we have to not only look at productivity per hectare, we have to look at climate smart, biodiversity smart, water smart, and particularly soil smart agriculture. And these suppliers of you, they are on that journey. How close do you work with them? What What's the... When a, when a supplier says in South Africa because they're making table grapes for you and they say, we, we want to do more, Volkert, we want to do more, what's your response? You send in the troops, how close are you? Because this is not a normal supplier-trader relationship. This is a no. partnership that goes way further. Can you give an example on, on how that works? 
yeah. to just to understand that this is another paradigm of, uh, of of doing business in in the fruit and vegetable sector. Well, it's actually a good example that grape grower in South Africa. Maybe you deliberately chose it. I think uh, we've discussed it before. Yeah. All right. Well, this guy is a visionary guy who, at some point, discovered that um, he can produce bigger quantities, better quality, if he invests in soil fertility. And it cuts down his costs, but it also cuts down his irrigation bill and his pest and disease pressure. It does a lot of things that are not only good for people and planet, but also is for his, um, for his, um, for his income. And then we discovered, together with the World Bank, that the Sundays River Valley in South Africa is suffering from a huge problem because the Sundays River stops producing water for some strange reason, So, uh, which is a big issue because 70% of all South Africa's citrus production is based in the Sundays River. So they Speaking uh, about risks. Yeah, yeah so... They were sort of uh, on a suicide mission. Why? Because all this stuff, this alien vegetation that polluted these rivers, was caused by a by enhanced fertile climate as a result of mineral fertilizer leakage into the groundwater produced by these citrus farmers. So you see where I'm suicide, getting. Suicide, yeah. So um, World Bank said, okay, we invent this project working for water which means that we send in uh, labor that's providing jobs and they cut back all the alien vegetation from these river rivers that's water so we provide the valley again with water and that's where we moved in teamed up with Sunday's um, River Citrus Corporation a huge co-op that controls I think 60 or 70 percent of the citrus production in the area we teamed up with them and said, how about if we take that stuff that's cut cut out of the, that, that green stuff that's cut out of the rivers, how about if we use that as a input for our compost and we produce our own compost and uh, compete with mineral fertilizer suppliers, which is what we did. So we started producing compost in huge numbers. Because uh, there was a lot of stuff in the river. There was yeah. a lot of stuff in the river. Growers began to collectively um, cut down on their mineral fertilizer so that stopped leakage and in the meantime they were building soils again and investing into organic matter contents in their soils uh, so there would be no leakage and there would be no problem with the rivers anymore plus they would be more independent from external agrochemical input suppliers which most farmers don't like to be anyway which most farmers don't like to be anyway so it's, it's a very silly model and you started to, they, they became, or they already were suppliers of you, or you started to also... No, then, then they, uh, not all of them, but, but the majority of them converted to organic, which are still today uh, our biggest uh, citrus suppliers. So then we went to the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel, Panel on Climate Change, and uh, applied for carbon credits, which we got on the uh, Delta... Uh, of methane gas emission because in the past all this green stuff was uh, was uh, landfilled producing methane and uh, now we started composting it cutting down on the methane and as a result we got carbon credits on that delta 
So we, all of a sudden, without knowing, um, produced three yields, three income revenue, revenue streams. One was these growers could sell their compost to also neighboring farms, income revenue one. They could sell their carbon credits, revenue two, and they could sell their citrus to us, revenue three. So that model was then copied to uh, municipalities in Cape Town, Durban, Port Elizabeth, and other bigger cities in South Africa where we started collecting all the green waste, not from rivers, but just the green waste from the cities, uh, started uh, collecting it, cutting it down, making compost, and closing the carbon cycle by sh- uh, shipping that back to the farmers, which was a model that was then copied to Mexico, Argentina, Chile, India, China, etc. So it's a very sustainable model that does not only contribute to uh, soil fertility, water holding capacity and mitigation of climate change, but it most of all frees up growers from being held hostage by an agrochemical input business that parasites on farming like the pharmaceutical industry parasites on your health by selling a little bit of pills or agrochemicals with a few side effects for which they have new pills or agrochemicals again. So this is a very sustainable model for the input input suppliers, very sustainable, but not very sustainable for the planet or for the growers or for the consumers. So, and it's quite easy to break that. You just need to look at returns in a different way. Our friends call it, uh, have a look at uh, your natural capital returns or social capital or inspirational capital returns. Well, that's precisely what we do, except that we do not only look at the returns, we also monetize them. So we recently created a dashboard together with EY, KPMG, PwC, a few other, a few banks in a pilot called True Cost Accounting for Food, Farming and Finance. Uh, in which we actually measured and monetized the impact on soil, water, climate, livelihoods and health, provided these impacts with a monetary value and produced our first profit and loss account based not just on financial capital but also on natural and social capital, uh, which was, a, 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 uh, I think, a revolutionary step. Um, How did it look? I mean, normal profit and loss are, are usually pretty boring, but, but in this case, what, what, what are one or two highlights from that that really surprised you or really gave you a good feeling or a bad one, maybe? Well, it was uh, mixed. First of all, we noticed that we were correct in the assumption that organic is not too expensive, but conventional is too cheap, as long as we keep externalizing costs to future generations. Secondly, that was quite revolutionary, we noticed that organic apples are 19 cents healthier per kilo than conventional apples, which is something we haven't talked about yet. Uh, We talked about the impact on planet. We haven't addressed social impact or health impact yet. But this is an example that if you leave out pesticides, which is what organic farming does, then that actually also has a 19 cent per kilo impact 
on your health as a consumer, just as a consumer. And what we simply did is we took data from EFSA, from the European Food Safety Agency, and um, fed those data of pesticide and residue um, occasions. We fed that into the DALI, the Disability Adjusted Life Year Calculation, uh, which is a monetization tool used by the WHO of United Nations. So this data was out there? The data were out there, the um, template was out there, and, it is, and we had the um, we had EY uh, validating this this calculation. That's how we achieved this 19 cent per kilo health advantage. By the way, defined in a very limited way, of course, because just yes, absence of pesticides, ab- absence of disease. Health, as we all know, is much wider, much bigger. Not just physical; it's also social. It's mental. It's you know, it's about vitality. But this. Uh, in itself was already revolutionary itself. Thirdly, we got an overwhelming uh, response from the financial sector thanking us for uh, being the first almost together with other pioneers to provide them with a dashboard so they would have indicators to not only look at people and planet impact from a qualitative point of view but also from a monetized point of view. What does it mean at the end? Because, of course, they love to have that number. Yeah. And And if you have that number, even if it's a limited range, it means that probably the total range is a lot bigger. You just don't know the X. But you have already the 19 cents or on the apple and the the mango, etc. are different. But you know, you you can start calculating, which is in, in many cases what we miss. We don't know what an organic apple does to you, but we do know that it what a chemical one does. So we can have that that difference. You know, finance is also about risk management. Probably. Mostly. (laughs) Totally about risk management, isn't it? And risk mitigation. A bad investment kills your return, and a good investment doesn't make it usually. So you can um, be penny-wise, pound-foolish, and ignore those ecological and social or health risks. Or you can say, well, even if uh, my short-term profit-driven shareholder doesn't realize yet, I have at least a, a um, governance re- responsibility to warn him for certain risks. And in the wake of the uh, Paris Climate Agreement, it is likely that, that the authorities will have a look at the impact on climate of companies and sectors and public sector, etc. So if you want to establish uh, a risk analysis on the possible effect of a carbon tax or whatever will be launched, then you better be prepared. And the uh, central bank in Holland recently launched this uh, stress test to see what the profitability of companies and sectors like the insurance sector and institutional investor sector would look like if they would have to compensate for their uh, climate change damage. And the data is in or they're in the process? I don't process? know, but just the fact that they... Um, the Central that Bank they, of the UK yeah. the mentioned that the biggest threat to the economy or to us is climate change. Yeah. Shock, which made it to the front page of Financial Times, which is... right. Good and bad at the same time. I mean, that that shouldn't have been news, but it's... uh... No, but sustainability is definitely hitting the the financial sector. 
and the fa- and other you, you see symptoms you don't see the real uh, footprint yet and the consequences but that's a matter of time but if you want to look beyond the garden fence and not too far away you can clearly see what will happen and the fact that Standard & Poor bought True Cost I don't know if you followed that I didn't see it, that but this, that's this UK very based uh, True Cost accounting uh, wow. NGO or, or um, how did they buy that? well they, they decided if we want to to um, establish a proper risk analysis of a company or a sector or a government or a country then we better factor in risks of climate change and uh, I mean the risks of people on planet and uh, so it, you see all these signs mm-hmm. you see the the carbon tracker d- discussion around stranded assets uh, fascinating of, to see them yeah, yeah of, of the oil sector so I think these are all sort of the first telltales um, of a next decade that will show us that that will confront us with a few disruptive changes that may have a um, multiplier effect because one would say well okay it's just about climate change but my guess is that if people start talking about climate change they will automatically also end up talking about the second largest carbon bank on the planet which is soils after the oceans is immediately related to climate change so before you know you talk about soil fertility you talk about water you talk about biodiversity farmers health and uh, yeah and well you know millions of consumers who are seriously concerned about the fact that 70% of their health bill is food related so can we talk can we get more transparency with regards to the health impact of what we eat please you know which is where our 19 cents come in per kilo so I, I'm foreseeing bigger moments of disruptive change that will um, allow new pioneers and new startups and new businesses who capitalize on a positive impact on people and planet. That will attract new money. As a matter of fact, those who are stuck in the old 1.0 profit definition, they will be fucked to put it uh, mildly and those who have factored in you sell it to I mean if you are it's called stranded assets for a reason because you're gonna be stranded and and you're not gonna be able to sell it to anybody anymore yeah so what's next for Eosta I mean this huge next 10 years a lot of disruptive change huge changes in in how many businesses are run many startups like you mentioned many newcomers coming into the space what what's for you in the medium medium long term what do you see, what are you excited about in, in the next few years? If we talk in a year from now or in two years from now, what, what do you be excited about, if you can share them, obviously? No, I would love to. Look, it's simple. Demand for organic produce is soaring, so um, is is exponentially growing, about 15%. I, th- I don't think there's any IT sector that's growing uh, so fast. Yet, it is still small, uh, particularly in this country, in Holland, but the average in the rest of Europe is you know, and if you look in mainstream retail, it's anything between 20 and 40 percent. So it is already mainstream. So we are way behind when it comes to fulfilling that that uh, demand. But you said so 95 percent outside the Netherlands. I mean, yeah, you're located here, 98. Yeah, but 
let's say in the Netherlands we need to catch up there's a there's a huge no uh, you know as an entrepreneur you don't care about your home country at least I don't uh, I don't care about Holland uh, what happens here no it's more you know we're Europe wide players mm -hmm. and um, when it comes to markets and we just see this enormously exponentially growing uh, demand and we can't we are seriously concerned about supply so we need new suppliers there's a huge investment potential for growers and investors scale up. to scale up. Wow. Is that something and you, you work with others with? with yeah, with, sure. With traditional banks, investors, etc.? Yep. So that's something you, you're probably, because at the end you cannot do it all alone. I mean, you are a big company and a small company at the same no, time. No, but we you remain scale up a, a traffic controller. We yeah. are not a bank, we're not a grower, we're not, you know, we're supply chain managers. So we need to co-create with um, environmental agencies, with UN agencies, with uh, financial actors and with those who have a vision. So back to your question where I see that would be the, 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 the next challenge in the next few years. First of all, big demand for organic. And you need to be specific about what commodities, what crops, what products. Secondly, um, I see great potential uh, in co-creating new models of return uh, between the um, sustainability sector in food and agri and the financial sector. So if we could com come up with a new dashboard to measure impact on people and planet and report on natural and social capital rather than just on financial capital only, if we would, and we have that tool, and we would team up with bigger retailers and other players, then that would give a boost to sustainability. I'm sure. But that is an umbrella approach, a generic meta approach, which we will be pursuing. Uh, if you zoom in, we've so far always been looking at the environmental benefits when it comes to organic farming. We've also looked into the social benefits when it comes to fair trade certification. But we're increasingly beginning to look, and that's a, a campaign we will just be uh, launching uh, next January. We'll also be looking at the health impact of food. And we've uh, called it Dr. Good Food. So we'll provide all our packages, millions of packages, with a, uh, with a little campaign logo that says Dr. Good Food. And uh, drgoodfood.com will be a website where... Uh, chefs, but also medical doctors, dietitians, uh, and um, consumers and NGOs will team up to raise more awareness for the proactive healthcare of food. And uh, we will have flash mobs uh, at the uh, fruit and veg in the fruit and veg departments of big retail customers partners. Flash mobs with student, students in white doctor coats and stethoscopes handing out food and veg and little flyers to point out what the connection is between health and food. Because that's the next big challenge and I smell momentum there yeah. and uh, it will contribute to our uh, unique selling point in the market. So. In the past, we've been promoting the bees. We're promoting with our Save Our Soils campaign. We've been promoting, been promoting soils. Well, there's a direct connection: soil, food, health. There's a absolutely. But consumers yeah, I smell momentum like there too. Yes. yeah, 
consumers like single issue. Everything is connected in nature. That's a nice thing. On the planet, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, you need to be specific. You, you need have, to be you have specific. Half a second to make a difference in attention to Precisely. when somebody decides left or right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so I Very see momentum there. And then, uh, well, we'll take it from there. Lots to do. Thank you so much, Volker, for your time. We'll be checking in on, on all of these projects. And, uh, and thank you for, for taking the time to share. Thank you, Kun. Pleasure. You just listened to a conversation with Volkert Engelsmann, co-founder of Aosta, where we discussed the role of an air traffic controller in the organic food supply web. And what's next for this 30-year-old organic company? Thank you for making the time to listen to this podcast and making it all the way till the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast, and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.